Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 144 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Update on me. At the time of this recording, it's Super Bowl Sunday, February 2nd. And a few days ago, I completed round two of my full theory Avastin treatment for my metastatic colorectal cancer. Second year in a row that we've kind of kicked off the year in this treatment, as you know. And mm, yesterday was a little bit tough. I find that the Saturdays post chemo, I always get chemo on Wednesday, are always the toughest. Woke up this Sunday morning feeling considerably better, human enough to do this recording. And so many of you have reached out with uh, kind words and, and, and thoughtful comments. I just want you to know how much that means to me, and I really appreciate it. As I continue on, we're about six weeks away from my nine-year cancerversary. Hard to believe that this has been part of my life going on nine years now. But thank you to all of you who've reached out with all your kind words. Kind words about the show means a lot, and I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. My guest this week is Linda Walters. Let me spell Linda's name for you because it's L-Y-N-D-A-W-O-L-T-E-R-S. You can find Linda on all of the major social media platforms. She goes straight by her name, Linda Walters, no spaces or underscore. And you can visit her website at lindawalters.com. And Linda is the author of, in my opinion, the most valuable book on the cancer experience that I've ever read. The book's title is The Voices of Cancer, and never before have I read a book where I was actually, as I'm reading it, I was talking to the book. My wife thought I was an idiot. I was reading chapters going, yes, exactly, I get it, you get it, you you understand me, you get me, all of those things. And, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of interviewing several authors on the show, and they don't get to be on the show if I don't find that uh, their book is something of value to our audience. So understand that. But this truly, if you are a cancer patient, if you are a caregiver of a cancer patient, or are very close to somebody who's dealing with cancer right now, I cannot recommend Linda's book, Voices of Cancer, enough to you. Go out and get the book. That's the probably the best I could say, is just go out and get the book. It will help you understand. It will help you be a better caregiver. It will help you communicate, if you're the patient, your needs better. It will. It's just a terrific book. So enough of the accolades. Let me introduce you to the wonderful author, Linda Walters, during our conversation on the We Have Cancer podcast. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for reaching out to me to share not just your story, but the story of Voices of Cancer. And 
You're not the first author that I've interviewed, and I'm curious to hear your answer to my first question, which is, what motivated you to write this book, Voices of Cancer? Well, thank you, Lee, for having me on. And, you know, I guess to answer that question, it's it's not as simple as, as people want to think it is. I did not set out to write a book on cancer. I never thought it would be in my wheelhouse to do so. When I was diagnosed, my husband actually asked me to start sending out emails instead of actually telling people about where I was in my process of treatment and how my journey was going. His comment to me was that every time he heard me tell the story again, he personally felt like he was reliving the treatment or the diagnoses or wherever I was in the journey. So I started to email and after forgetting accidentally one or two people, I realized that is just not a really good venue to get everybody in touch with what's going on. So I started a journal and that journal actually took off on its own. And I had several people come up to me that I did not know and had been turned on to my journal and their response was really quite intense about how raw and honest and open I was in the journal. And then I went to a camp for adult cancer survivors called Epic Experience in Colorado. And sitting around with a group of nothing but survivors and thrivers, talking about the really tough stuff, the intimacy issues, the relationship challenges, the friends we've lost, the abandonment feelings, the, you know, the fact that people just don't understand what we go through or what we feel. I just, I just said to these, these people, you know, I think there's something here. I think we need to help educate people. And really that's where Voices of Cancer started was around a table, around a campfire. It had to be so validating and empowering to spend time at this adult camp with your tribe. It, it was awesome. And I love that you call it a tribe because I refer to these people as my chosen family. You know, I mean, the old adage, you can't pick your family, but I could pick these people and I would not want to go through the trenches with anybody else. These other cancer patients get what we cancer patients are going through no different, I'm sure, than caregivers understand what other caregivers are going through. Something I don't understand because I'm not a caregiver. A hundred percent. And I shared this story, a previous podcast episode, that during you know, one of our real emotional moments between my wife, Linda, and I, as I was going through treatment last year, was you know, she said, you know, you don't know what it's like to be a caregiver. And my initial you know, got a reaction was to be defensive. And I paused and I said, you're right. I don't because I'm not one, nor does she know what it's like to be a patient. Right. And, and it's not a contest, but, but both statements are totally true. Right. Correct. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned a phrase abandonment, you know, friends and family abandoning us. And that's one of the stories you shared early on in the book about your experience with your cousin. Tell us a little bit about, about that story and, and why it was a prominent part of the book. When I was growing up, 
my first cousins and I were thick as thieves and we would spend summers together. You know, they, they lived a couple hours from where I did and our parents would swap us, if you will. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they'd come stay at our house. Sometimes I'd go stay at their house and we just did everything together. And it was, it was like I, I had sisters because I don't have sisters. So it was fantastic. But then my cousin Joni got sick and I was in the throes of raising children. And when I heard that she was sick with cancer, I simply said, you know, just let me know what you need. Just give me a call. Call me, you know, whatever you need. And she never called. So I assumed she didn't need anything. And rather than bother her, I would reach out to the other cousins and just check in, you know, hey, how's Joni doing? I never bothered to call her directly because, of course, I didn't want to bother her. When I got sick, she was gracious enough to reach out to me. And through conversations, many conversa conversations, I learned some of the hardest lessons, and that was the fact that Joni went for an entire year without so much as having her toilets cleaned because she couldn't clean her toilets. And everybody thought that she would reach out and call them with whatever she needed, but she was so sick she couldn't reach out. She could barely, you know, make herself a meal, let alone clean a toilet. Through her grace, I learned very quickly of my shortcomings, and my shortcomings were not intentional, and they were just simply based on undereducation, lack of experience, and quite honestly, nobody teaching me any different. So when I got sick, I thought it was very poignant to let people know that Yes, now I am a cancer patient, but I understand why you are abandoning me because I did the exact same thing. I was a terrible cousin to my cousin without without any intention at all. So it it was very it was very empowering and very humbling for me to have her give me the grace and and teach me in in a really tough tough love situation. Yeah. And you know, as I was reading your book, and you and I were joking about this uh, before we started recording, is you know I'm reading this book and I'm and I'm like yelling at the book or cheering at the book. Yes, exactly. She understands. My wife's looking at me like I had three heads. And <laughs> and this book, you touch on some really common issues and some other things that you kind of go hmm. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't looked at it that way, but I think that this one is probably the biggest issue when it comes to people dealing with adversity in their life. It's not a cancer issue. It could be anything, you know, because we don't know what to say. We say, let me know what, you know, what I can do for you to your point with the best of intentions, right? What, what's the, what's the better way to do it? You know, the better way that I personally have found, and, and some of this I learned on my own, and, and some of it was taught to me by other cancer patients, and that is simply to be intentional. I understand the words, call me if you need something. I, I'm guilty of that a hundredfold, but 
there is no intention in that statement. It's better to be proactive than it is to wait for somebody to ask you. Because first of all, I don't know about you, but my mom taught me it was rude if I asked you for help. So I'm not going to ask you. And the second thing is, is I'm so darn sick. I don't have a clue what I need until I'm I'm so deep in, there's nothing you can do to help me. So rather than wait, just move forward and beg for forgiveness later. You know, in other words, simply bring a dish. Make the phone call and say, I'm bringing you a dinner at six o'clock tonight. Do you have any food allergies? It's a real easy yes or no. I don't have any food allergies. Great. I'll leave it on your doorstep because I know that you are in isolation right now and, you know, I, I might have a germ. So there you go. Or, you know, you might find out when somebody's next appointment is. Now, granted, you probably won't be allowed or want to go in with the patient into their doctor's office, but you can sit for five minutes in the waiting room. I literally will drive to the waiting room with my friends that have cancer and I will sit there until their name is called and then I go back to work. It's It was super easy and it meant the world to people. And I'll tell you what, it, mean, it means the world to me too. Um, pick up their kids from daycare. Super easy thing to do. Just give them a call. Hey, I'm going to pick up Joey and Sammy and, you know, bring them to my house for dinner. Or, you know, the the other thing too, back to the caregivers, do not forget to help take care of the caregiver. If that just means you going over and sitting so that the caregiver can go have a cup of coffee by themselves, do it because they are forgotten so often. That's so true. And even you think about people who may be calling to check in, say on you or on me, I know the phone call is, hey, Linda, how's Lee doing, right? And give me the update and and that kind of thing. But oftentimes we forget the next part. How are you doing, right? Exactly. And they need the better support that our caregivers get, the better they can care for us. Yeah. Absolutely. If their tanks are empty, then there's nothing they can give. Right. And we rely on them. Yeah. The other piece that just so resonated with me, I could probably make that case for every chapter in the book, is when you talked about thoughtless words. And and I read through that and 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 I cringed, but unfortunately I cringed because it hit so close to home. And I think it does for all of us. Uh, to tell us a little bit about what that means and what you were trying to address there. You know, again, Voices of Cancer is a culmination of dozens of cancer patients' thoughts and feelings and, and what have you. And part of the thoughtless words and comments section came from many, many, many people but there was a there was definitely a theme and one of the themes i think that bothers cancer patients that i don't think people on the outside understand is when we hear terms like you've got this or be strong or i know this one resonates with you is you're my hero mm. or but you look good you know we know we don't look good 
And we really don't need any more mystery in our lives. So, you know, let's just be honest. You know, it's okay to tell me, hey, I can see you're tired. I can, I can tell you're having a rough time, you know. We don't, we don't need rainbows and unicorns. So being honest is by far the best thing. And one of the worst, most hurtful things, I can't even believe people say this, is at least you've got the easy cancer. Or the good cancer, yeah. Or the good ah. cancer. And, you know, when you hear the words, you have cancer, and then somebody says, but you got the good one or you got the easy one. I defy you to tell me what that means because there is no such thing. There is no good cancer. No, there's not. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. Again, you know, you hit on mine because that's something that my dad likes to say to me all the time. You're my hero. And I know it's said from the heart and with love, right? And a lot of people will say, judge people on their intentions, right? Other people say the road to you know where is paved with good intention. But that just sets, you know, for me, it's like, well, if and when, and more likely it's going to be not if, but when I get another recurrence, am I still your hero, right? If I let you down, I don't want that, that responsibility. I don't want to be somebody's hero, you know, and it's okay to just write, just validate, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, when do you find you feel your best? And when do you find you feel your worst? And how do you cope? Just asking some, some questions to learn, I think is a better way to have a conversation. Don't you think? Absolutely. You know, I, I had a, a tough go with several groups in my circle, they didn't know how to handle my situation and pretty much just stepped away from me, which was a complete shock to me. You know, I mean, I'm a chatty gal and I have never really met a stranger. And I was astounded that people I had known for decades just, what, didn't have anything more to say to me because I was sick. I actually asked a certain circle of friends, you know, what is it? Where are you? What's happened? And one by one, they all said the same thing. And it was, I don't know what to say to you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't know how to handle the fact that you have a terminal illness. And the last one that, that blew me away was, I don't want to make you upset. And I thought, you know, I would rather you ask me the tough questions because, you know, you're my friend, you're my family. I would rather you cry in front of me and the two of us together, you know, just break down these walls, but don't, don't abandon me. I'm still the same person. I actually wrote a letter to my friends and I, I posted it and I was astounded. I went from zero visits in the hospital to 39 people in one week. Wow. What was in that letter that, that made such a difference to, to people? You know, basically, I think that letter, it just simply broke down those, those walls of, I'm still me. I am the exact same person. We are in a relationship and relationships have highs and lows and, you know, give and take. And right now, 
I need to take and you need to give and I'll do my best, you know, but really I am the same person and let's draw on whatever brought us together. And that's, you know, that's the glue that we need to keep to keep moving forward. And I also, I allowed them through my writing to ask me anything. I, I took away their fear by saying, it's okay to cry. It's okay to ask me questions. It's okay to be scared. Because I, I, I told them in the letter, I'm terrified and I cry all the time and I have tons of questions. You know, you're not alone in this. So let's be not alone together. And sure enough, boy, be careful of what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> my room was full. <laughs> Is this where uh, one of my favorite quotes in the book on page 113 is this where this came from when you said, Linda, learning to live in the moment may include taking action to clear the decks of unfinished business in your life? You know, a lot of people, and, and work with me on this one, but a lot of people struggle when I answer this kind of a question. I was never a bad person before I was sick. I've always colored within the lines, never even had a speeding ticket. I mean, I honestly, I, I am that person, right? I even worked in a law firm for 32 years if you want to get right down to it. So, I mean, I am straight and narrow kind of a gal. But when I was diagnosed, I think the whole world thought, oh my God, she's 49. She's got a terminal disease. She's only got been given a few years to live this has got to be the worst thing that's ever happened to her. I'll tell you what, I feel like I am the blessed one because I was given an opportunity to make amends to whomever for whatever. I was given the opportunity to learn to be extremely intentional and vulnerable. I've learned that one of the strongest things that I can do. And the most helpful thing is to be vulnerable, to just simply lay myself at somebody's feet and just say, I don't know. I'm sorry I did this. How can I help you? It's, it's been a blessing, this disease, this diagnosis. I would never wish it on anyone, but the clarity and the perspective shift is insurmountable to anything I have ever experienced. And so clearing the decks for me meant reaching out to people I hadn't spoke with in literally dozens and dozens of years. I, I literally reached out. I was, I was single for quite some time before I, I um, got married. I was only married just over a year before I was diagnosed. So I had quite a, a length of time there where I had met other people. And I actually reached out to certain people that were very important in my life, just to let them know that while you and I may not have worked out in any relationship sort of way, you were a fantastic human and you meant a great deal to me. And I felt it was absolutely a blessing to me to be able to have that time to clear my decks and make sure that everyone, my children, my 
my mother, my, you know, my high school friends that they knew what was what. I, I even called a guy and apologized for a, a prom mess up when I was a sophomore in high school. You know, wow. <laughs> I just, it was important to me because he mattered as a human being. And so for me to be able to clear the decks was a gift that I, I received because of my diagnosis. How did people respond to that? Blown away. Absolutely across the board, pretty much shock and silence, kind of waiting for, okay, so what do you want? Mm. And, you know, the response from me was, look, I, I just need two minutes of your time. I just want you to know that I care for you. This is what you meant to me. And almost always I end with, and I love you. And it does not mean that it's anything more than you are a human being and you are loved. And that's it. It's the most powerful thing we can do. Those three words, I find I say them a lot more frequently now than ever as well. Even to my guy friends, right? Absolutely. I, I say it to strangers. <laughs> I mean, I, I've met people on, the, on a plane and I will end up having a conversation. And when I leave them, I'll give them a hug and say, you know what? I love you. You are a great person. You were here in my life for a reason. Thank you. Very important. You talked about the people that contributed to the book, and I love the cover, by the way. Uh, you've got 20. They look like a, a hybrid between a photograph and a painting. I'm assuming these are people who contributed to the book. How did you come upon these individuals and get them to share their their stories and their contributions that they made to the book? You know, thank you for making comment about that cover. The gentleman that painted every single one of them is also a blood cancer thriver. He's, he's relapsed and he's going through treatment again right now. His name is Chris Taylor, and he is absolutely, obviously, a phenomenal artist. He actually was a volunteer at epic experience the camp for adult cancer survivors and thrivers that i went to he was a volunteer when i actually went there and his camp name is fig and i'm yard sale and well that's a whole other Whoa. podcast <laughs> but <laughs> anyway so chris was he loves taking pictures and he just took all these pictures of all these people and on his own, just drew them up. And when I sat around the fire, sat around the table and said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to write this book. I think I'm going to do this. It was a suggestion of his. He, he simply offered, you know what, I, I would be honored to let you have these pictures for the cover. And so every one of those people shy of one actually is a former camper of Epic Experience. Um, the artist himself is the very top left person and I'm actually on the bottom. Um, anyway, so Chris did all of those. And while those people are not exactly all in the book because I didn't know them all personally, a good deal of the stories came from people that went to that camp um, and different camps because Epic Experience has been going on since 2012. So there's lots of people that 
added to that. So there's a couple on that cover. And it was surprising, you know, there, people are so forthcoming when I told them what this was about. And basically the way I look at Voices of Cancer in a nutshell is that I just simply wanted to promote a positive learning experience and conversation starter for people with cancer and people helping people going through cancer. When we talked earlier, you, you expressed some that you had some initial hesitancy about writing the book. Now that it's out and people have are, have and are reading it, what's your reaction now? I'm so humbled. I... I, I just, I'll tell you, I, this book feels like a child to me, like my child. I have been entrusted with so many people's stories and their thoughts and feelings. And, you know, I mean, even as far as their relationships and their marriages and, you know, their friendships and the abandonment and everything. And, and I feel so honored to have been trusted by these people. And unfortunately, there have been several in the book that have passed away since it's been written. And I even feel more responsible and, and more guarded towards their stories. But I'll tell you that the comments that I receive, um, complete and utter strangers that have sought me out, there isn't a day, including today actually, there is not a day that has gone by in the last few months since this has come out where I don't receive something on a, my website or through Facebook or wherever I'm at that someone is expressing how the book has touched and affect them, their relationship, their, you know, gave them some validation for their own feelings if they're the patient or helped them if they were the caregiver. And that is exactly why I wrote the book. I mean, I make this comment a lot. I'm never going to be rich and famous over this book. And that's totally okay because I did not write it for that reason. Don't get me wrong. I have other books that I've written and I really hope that those just get knocked right out of the park and we get movies and what have you. But you know what? These books matter. Those other books, they're just fluff and, you know, fiction and what have you. But this matters. These are people's lives and this can help make a difference. I firmly believe. Um, and it is so far beyond the scope of what I ever thought would happen that it's at times so surreal that I hear myself saying, did I actually write that? Or wow, that that's really good. You know, because it, 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 it really hits home with me. It, it just does. And it, it is the most humbling thing that I've ever gone through. It hit home with me too. And as I mentioned, when we started the, our conversation, you know, I've interviewed many authors and all wonderful books. This book to our listeners, um, first off, it's a, it's a quick read. It's, it's not war and peace, but it should be in the hands, not just of those of us who are in the throes of, of the cancer experience, whether you're a survivor or a thriver, it should be in the hands of your caregivers and it should be in the hands of the people around you who are 
perhaps struggling and you don't even know it to love and support you. I intend on ordering a few more copies and getting them into the hands of, of, of the people I love, because I think it's going to accomplish a couple of things. It'll help them better understand how to support myself and Linda, but it also, you covered some issues in here of what people don't understand about those of us who are going through this and you convey it so eloquently, Linda, um, you know, of what people need to know about, you know, what's happening to us and, and our reaction to that. So that's my endorsement of the book. Um, get it, read it, gift it. Uh, it'll make a big difference. It really will. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and that is the hope. The name of the book again is Voices of Cancer. My guest today and the author of the book is Linda Walters. Linda spells her name L-Y-N-D-A and W-O-L-T-R-S. Linda, thank you so much. I wish you all the best to you, you know, positive things ahead on the health front for you and, and all the best and appreciate all that you've done for the cancer community and for being generous with your time to share your story here on We Have Cancer. Thank you, Lee. Over the next six weeks, there are quite a few ways that you can support Colon Cancer Awareness and the Colon Cancer Coalition. Let me first run through the upcoming list of Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run Walk events starting coming up on Sunday, February 23rd in Tucson, Arizona at Omni Tucson National Resort. On Saturday, February 29th in Austin, Texas at Camp Mabry. This is part of the Texas National Guard. On Sunday, March 1st in San Antonio, Texas at Morgan's Wonderland. On Saturday, March 7th in Raleigh, North Carolina at Wake Med Soccer Park. On Saturday, March 7th, also, this one in Savannah, Georgia, at 225 Candler Drive in Savannah. Also taking place on Saturday, March 21st, in Fort Worth, Texas, at Trinity Park Pavilion 1 Shelter House. Sunday, March 22nd, for our friends in Philadelphia at Memorial Hall, Please Touch Museum. And on Saturday, March 28th, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, at Quarry Park. And also same day in Asheville, North Carolina, at Carrier Park Velodrome. And in Tulsa, Oklahoma, also Saturday, March 28th, at Guthrie Green. And we have a colon cancer awareness 5k run walk this one is planned by the native americans for community action this one's taking place in flagstaff arizona this is also on saturday march 28th a couple of other events i want to call your attention to anybody in or around beach mountain north carolina there's actually a this sounds like a blast a skiing event coming up on saturday march 7th Beach Mountain, North Carolina. Proceeds for this and all of the other events that I've mentioned all go to Get Your Rear and Gear, the Colon Cancer Coalition. For more information, visit their website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcast, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.